This afternoon, we'll be continuing to work our way through the Apostles' Creed section by section as it's laid out in the Heidelberg Catechism. And we've reached the section on God the Son and our redemption. Lord's Day 11 uh, and 12, why is he called Jesus and why is he called the Christ? So in connection with that today, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 3, the verses 21 to 22. And then after that, follow that up by reading from Luke chapter 9, the verses 28 to 36. So Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, you'll be able to find that on page 1182 of your pew Bible. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. We'll now move ahead to Luke chapter 9. This is quite some time later. Christ has been carrying on in his ministry for, for quite a period of time. And now his, he's beginning to uh, look ahead towards the day when he's going to have to set his face towards Jerusalem and take those final steps. And he is prepared and confirmed here in Luke chapter 9, verse 28 and following. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, which is to say where he says that he must suffer many things be rejected and be killed in the immediate section before this. After these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James, and he went up to the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened, as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen. So far, the word of God. Let's now also read together from Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism, and you'll be able to find that on page 527 of your book of praise. Why is he, that is the Son of God, called Christ, that is anointed, Because he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, 
who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. Our only high priest, who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us, and who continually intercedes for us before the Father, and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Why are you called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing, so that I may as prophet confess his name, as priest present myself as a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and as king fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, do you have the Holy Spirit? I want you to think about that question as we come into the next part of this catechism, discussing the next part of this catechism. So hold on to that for a moment. With that in the back of your mind, I want to ask you another question, a follow-up question. Do you understand the difference between being able to do something and being officially recognized as doing it? You can imagine maybe getting your red seal after you accomplish your, after you complete your apprenticeship. The red seal, of course, doesn't magically mean that you have more skills after getting that paper than you had before. The red seal means you completed an apprenticeship that showed that you are now able at the end of that apprenticeship to do the work. And now new doors are being opened up for you. This red seal means that you now have new privileges and you now can work in a new and special way, publicly recognized in an industry in which you couldn't do that before. Now, in the previous Lord's Day that we covered, we talked about the heart and soul of the Christian faith. Jesus came to save sinners. That's what his name points to. It means the Lord saves. And that, for the believer, is their only comfort in life and death. Because while salvation is not to be looked for or found anywhere else, salvation is found in Jesus. This is his saving work. But the next question is, how can you be so certain of the fact? Looking through the eyes of the original readers of our passage here in Luke today, they heard the promise, but how can they know for sure that this applies to them? Where's the red seal, you might say, that his work is legitimate? And the fact of the matter is that we ourselves can ask the same question. How can we be sure? How can we be sure that the sacrifice of Jesus does save sinners? There is a certainty to the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ that was publicly recognized for the benefit of all believers then and now. And that's the exciting part about what God teaches us in his word today. So we'll look at this under the following theme. Our salvation is secure. 
And we'll see, first of all, because Christ was anointed. And second, because we share in that anointing. Now, if you've read the Gospels, you'll be pretty familiar with Christ's baptism. God had laid public claim to Jesus as his own beloved son. And notice what our confession says. It says he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what our passage today in Luke draws our attention to, isn't it? When God says, this is my son, listen to him. And the Holy Spirit descends on him. He's showing that he's not just publicly claiming Jesus as his own son, but that he is anointing him to the task. Hence his name, Christ. Christ means, as our catechism points out, anointed one. It's a Greek word, meaning anointed one. Now, if you were to look in the past, physical anointing with oil had always been a picture of the anointing with the Holy Spirit. We see this time and time again in the Old Testament. Anointing towards a special office. The offices of prophet, priest, and king. They were always accompanied by this picture of God's equipping and appointing that person for their task. And the idea was that It would show it wasn't just man, but God's favor on that person. What God does here with the dove descending down on Jesus is to make this same picture in front of everybody. And here it's not just an anointing with oil, because that is something that could just be copied, couldn't it? Somebody could falsely anoint someone with oil, and God's Spirit would not necessarily rest on that person. And yet here we see something that could not be copied. It couldn't be faked. It was public before the eyes of many witnesses that God has anointed his son, that God's favor is on this person who is before their eyes, Jesus Christ. As we looked ahead in the Gospel of Luke, we can see how this is confirmed again at the Transfiguration. And we know that it's a confirmation because God brings back those very same words, this is my beloved son, hear him, pay attention to him, listen to him. We can see that it's a confirmation of Christ's task because you see the picture of Moses who represented all of the Old Testament law, and Elijah, who was a picture of all of the prophets, and then Jesus Christ. There was a progression here. The people of God listened to Moses. The people of God listened to the prophets, and now they were to listen to Jesus Christ. God once again confirmed that Christ has his approval, and that hasn't changed. Now, this was important for the audience of this gospel in Luke's day. Because Christ having divine approval, and this being confirmed as his ministry carried on, gave them the courage to actually listen to him and to trust in him. 
His work wasn't just somebody who came along and claimed to have authority. But rather he was and he is the divine son of God. This is my son. Listen to him. So what does this mean for his work? Well, as we looked back to the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were the only three kinds of people who were anointed. And as one who has been anointed by the Holy Spirit, Christ shares in every aspect of those works. As our catechism points out, he does this in all three of these offices. In the first place, Christ works as prophet. Now, there's a common misconception that, about prophets that all they do is tell the future. And there's certain, a certain amount of truth to that. And Jesus Christ himself did prophesy about what would happen to Jerusalem. But that's not all there is to it. The vast majority of the work of a prophet in the Old Testament and the vast majority of the work of Jesus Christ was to be a teacher. It was to teach the people about who God is, to make them aware of their past and why they are in the situation that they are in in the present and to direct them in how to avoid disaster in the future and how to look for hope in the future. Yes, they spoke about the future, but they were first of all teachers for the people of God. And Jesus acts in the same way. He teaches his people about the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption, our catechism says, which is to say that he teaches us about the situation that we're in because of what we've done. That's what it comes down to. He teaches us about the situation that we're in due to our own actions, what God had planned in advance, something he was already hinting about for his people since the fall of man into sin in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 verse 15. And you can see this on the road to Emmaus again in Luke 24, 13 to 35, something that Christ comes back to time and time again throughout his ministry, that he is going to save his people, not just leave them in the situation that they're in. Now, this isn't to say that it was hidden in the sense that God was not wanting anyone to know about it when we speak about the secret counsel and will of God, but that it was something that was in the mind of God and in the plan of God before time that he was already revealing it through history. And Christ is just making plain what God had been speaking about in the scriptures. So in his task of of prophet, as he's revealing what God, the situation that man is in and what God had planned in order to save mankind, God was placing his stamp of approval on this. He was saying to the people, listen to him. What he is saying about your sin is the truth. What he's saying to you about how to be saved is the truth. Listen to him. So as prophet, Christ teaches us about the plan of salvation 
making plain what God has been revealing throughout history. As priest, he carries out that plan of salvation, offering himself up on the cross, having explained already why it was necessary for him to do this. And now as king, he keeps his people in that salvation that he taught and that he bought. He fights for us and he leads and governs us as his people. As prophet, priest, and king, he teaches, he buys, and he keeps those whom his father has given to him. This is the seal of approval that God has placed upon his son. All of those different aspects of his son's work have the father's seal of approval. As he says in John 6, verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. He can promise this, and we can rest assured in that promise because of that seal of approval. In all of his roles, prophet, priest, and king, as the anointed, as the Christ, he fulfills this perfectly. But he does more than just fulfill this task perfectly for himself in what he's doing. This is something that overflows to everyone who believes in him as well. He also gives us of his spirit. 1 John 4 verse 13. He anoints us, you might say, in the same way that he was anointed, not physically and outwardly with oil, but spiritually and inwardly with the Holy Spirit. Anyone who confesses him as Lord, who truly believes in him, shares in this. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And sharing in his anointing, we also have a task as anointed ones. Now, before we get into this, I want to make one thing especially clear. The fact that we have a task does not mean that our salvation hangs in the balance depending on the outcome of this task that we've been given. We've seen, already this morning, we've seen how that's a wrong way to think about it. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, we have been given this task because we belong to him. So seeing that Christ's anointing meant all of these things for him, the question then is, what does it mean for us? Are we actually anointed in the first place? Well, our catechism does point out, yes, we do share in that anointing. Thinking back to that first question, that question that we had at the beginning, do you have the Holy Spirit? There are some, there are those from some Christian circles who believe that you do not have this anointing unless you speak in tongues or show some other special gifts of the Spirit. They'll ask you, do you know Jesus Christ, and someone I know actually had this happen to him 
His response was, yes, I do. He's my savior. And he expected to have a conversation with regards to this. But the immediate question that followed was, have you experienced the anointing of the Holy Spirit? The idea behind that question was this. Yes, you're a Christian, you've been baptized, but did you have a special anointing? You don't have the Holy Spirit unless you've experienced prophecy, speaking in tongues, or other gifts of the Spirit. And that's exactly what this questioner ended up arguing about. He suggested that it was possible to be a Christian, but not to have the Holy Spirit. And not just, by the way, to be a Christian in name only. We do recognize that there's a difference there. But for somebody to actually be a Christian in the full sense of the word and not have the Holy Spirit. And he suggested that if you wanted to move up to the next level and be certain of your salvation, you need to have these outward signs. You need to be able to speak in tongues. You need to be able to look ahead and prophesy. But what does our catechism point out? I am a member of Christ by faith. And thus, for that reason, because I am a member of Christ by faith. Thus, I share in his anointing. Now, remember to share in Christ's anointing is to share in everything that comes before that. To share in his redeeming work. His work as prophet, his work as priest, his work as king, that he keeps hold of his own. That's what his anointing was all about, telling us about this redemption as prophet, carrying out this redemption as priest, keeping us in this redemption as king. If you share in Christ's anointing, that anointing work of the Holy Spirit, you share in salvation. You share in what the Father officially and publicly appointed the Son to do in his baptism, what he confirmed at his, as, at his transfiguration. All of this, you confess, belongs to whoever believes in Jesus Christ. But is the catechism on point here? Is the catechism on point here? Can we say that? about a Christian, if someone was to come up to us and challenge us, yes, you're a Christian, but you don't have the Holy Spirit yet. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. We looked at that a moment ago. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. To be able to truly and fully confess that Jesus is Lord and to be able to commit your life to him, you must have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 9. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You cannot be a Christian, without having the Spirit of Christ. That category does not exist. By nature of being 
a Christian, of confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, the Word of God teaches us that you have been blessed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this leads us to conclude that our catechism is indeed a faithful summary of Scripture here. That whoever believes in Jesus Christ does share in the Holy Spirit, share in his anointing. And that the belief that you need all of these extra signs as proof that you have the Holy Spirit is not scriptural at all. You share in that anointing. And the fact that you share in that anointing now carries something else with it. You are called to live out that anointing. Not in order that you can be joined with Christ, but because you are joined with Christ. So what does this mean practically? It means that we follow in the footsteps of Christ. It means that we too share in those three aspects of one who has, uh, is anointed by the Holy Spirit. And our catechism summarizes this well. Just as Christ taught people, he bought us and he keeps us through fighting for us and leaving us. So also, do we respond? As Christians, we mirror what Jesus Christ does. First of all, we tell people what he's taught us. Second, we commit our lives to him. Romans 12, verse 1. That's what it means by presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice of thankfulness. We commit our lives to him. We have been bought by him and now we mirror that in committing our lives to him. And then in the third place, we mirror the lives of kings by fighting for what we believe in, which is to say to fight against sin and the devil in this life and as reigning victorious in the next life with Christ. But this can only be done through the Holy Spirit. This can only be done through those who share in Christ's anointing. And the beautiful thing is that if you confess Jesus as Lord, if you believe and trust in him, if he is your king, his spirit is yours. And he equips you to do these things. As our church's home visit theme for this year says, the vine is Jesus, and only in him can we, grafted into him by his spirit, bear fruit. But if we are grafted in, if we do hold fast to him, we will bear fruit. So take advantage of what he has given you, beloved. We can see this, the task of, of prophet, priest, and king. And we can be a little bit intimidated by it, can't we? Especially when it comes to the prophet part of it. As it's laid out here, as prophet confesses his name. But take advantage of what he has given you. And sometimes the only way that you can do it is to begin by doing it badly. 
but the doors have already been opened so that what you are doing for God's glory is recognized as pleasing to him. So that as he works in you through the Spirit and, he is, and you are bearing fruit to him, it's recognized as pleasing to him. So don't fear beginning by doing it badly. See it as the beginning of his work in you. And as you work, following in his footsteps, mirroring his work as prophet, priest, and king, see how he grows this work in you. Rely on his spirit. Come in repentance and ask for forgiveness where you fail. Rejoice in his work where he grants you success. As prophet, confess his name faithfully, both in your own heart and by your words. As priest, Don't just leave your Christian life at words. Commit your life to him as a living sacrifice. And as king, make war against sin and the devil in this life. And rejoice in the hope of the future. And seek to do all this knowing that you're not doing it in your own strength. But because you know your salvation is completely secure in him. And you have your eyes fixed on a future hope because you yourself have also been anointed, joined by your spirit to your anointed Savior, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen.